Well, welcome Vineyard Worship Tribe. Welcome to our conversations on what is worship, prompted by this um, fascinating season that we find ourselves in of lockdown and pandemic. We're asking ourselves and each other some interesting questions about what worship is. So with me today, my guest is Neil Bennett from the Worship Foundation. And I discovered an article on probably Facebook that he had written, and I found it really helpful. So although Neil and I had never met before, we've only met today, I have invited him to come and talk to us about this question of what is worship. So some of you maybe know Neil Bennett's a little bit. I think you've been around the worship for some time you mean you mean um, i'm old that's what you really wouldn't be saying i'm old no. well i would be saying that i'm old as well if i say that so anyway just tell us a little bit about yourself for people that don't know you haven't met you before okay well yeah um i'm neil bennett so i'm married to Susie. uh we had our 25th wedding anniversary just two days ago so oh congratulations because, yeah we had a, a day away and he a, a day away in near oxford a place called um can't remember where we went but it was nice anyway and um i've got two kids they're grown up uh zach and sarah and um i live in cheltenham and i've been in, yeah you're right i have been around the worship scene a long time and i think i've been w leading worship in some respect for about 35 years so that's amazing um so you can be uh, started in the late 70s in my little baptist church in winchester where we played some of the new songs that were coming out, uh, new worship songs that were coming out at that time. And, um, and of course, they, they weren't in church. They were, they were only in the youth group. So we'd go to the proper church service and then, you know, around the back afterwards, we'd get our guitars. And, <laughs> you know, there'd be guitars with, you know, rainbow stripes and Jesus loves you stickers and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. And, and then, um, so yeah, that was sort of late 70s. And I moved to university i went to uea in norwich and started to get involved in worship in the chaplaincy there which was uh joint anglican and catholic so had some very rich experiences mm -hmm. there and first came into ideas around renewal through uh, the catholic um church uh wow and so uh, you know i'd go to a anglican communion on sunday morning and a catholic mass on sunday evening and it was Wow, uh, a really rich experience and made some really good friends who I'm still very much in touch with. Then uh, after university, I went to what I probably describe now as a conservative evangelical church in Norwich, a really wonderful church family at the Trinity Norwich and started to get involved in worship and the sort of politics that went with worship at those times. So, you know, you'd have the organist and the choir over one side and the and the little worship group on the other side of the stage who who were allowed three songs as long as you didn't repeat them more than twice and all that <laughs> sort of stuff and and this was uh this was even before shine is your shine so this you know this is how old it was this is oh even before shine, shine and um yeah and then uh started to go to um went to spring harvest a couple of times and that was really uh an important sort of experience learning understanding of, of worship with um people like graham kendrick and david pope and um then yeah eventually moved uh to a church in cheltenham i joined moved to cheltenham joined a church uh 
Holy Trinity Cheltenham, where I eventually was a worship pastor for 20 years. So up until a few years into that in Cheltenham, I'd, I had a different career. I did a, all the worship stuff in sort of in my own time, but I had a, a career in finance and insurance. And, wow. and then, yeah, became worship pastor in, I can't remember what year it was. I moved to Cheltenham in 94. And yeah, spent 20 years being a worship pastor. Um, and that was a wonderful, wonderful time of life and and worship as well in the church. And I got involved in the New Wine, which um, some of you may have come across, which is mm -hmm. a sort of church network in the UK and led worship there for and then at their family conferences for 10 years, I think it was. And then uh, stopped <laughs> for all sorts of reasons. But um, it, I, I had a break from ministry actually after that. I was very burnt out, had mm. done too much and all sorts of other contributing factors, but had a had a, a few years off and I took the chance to study theology. I did a master's in theology at WTC. Oh, fun. And um, played a lot of golf, <laughs> which if you're a little bit burnt <laughs> out, I can recommend the combination of theology and golf. Uh, it's a great combination. And then coming out of that and feeling a lot better with things uh, began to think well what do I want to do I've got all this experience of leading worship and songwriting and conferences and all that sort of malarkey and now I've got theology as well and um, mm. so this idea of the worship foundation started to form formulate in my mind and a few others and we set up a charity about three years ago and our focus really now is on training and coaching uh, worship pastors and worship leaders. And uh, we spend a lot of time doing that. I work at the moment, I'm, one of my main projects is, is we've got a family of 20 worship pastors around the UK where we do a lot of teaching and practical stuff. So we do theology and songwriting and uh, look at things about how to care for yourself in ministry and all those sort of things. All, the, all those sort of experiences came together in this, this thing that we do now. And yeah, I love it. And now I'm mar been married 25 years. I'm 56, and um, I've worked part time, and the rest of the time I play golf. And yeah, <laughs> that's that's me. And I like blue. Obviously, blue is my favourite colour. Like <laughs> there you are. That's that's the story of Neil Bennett's. In oh, thank you for sharing time. that. That's so good. And thank you for persevering through you know all those different stages and you know staying in the. Staying in the game, you know, 35 later, years later, here you are still. Yeah, mm. yeah and I, I, I do remember actually one of my most significant conversations with, with my pastor at the time was when I was 40. So this was still quite a long time ago. I was thinking, what does a 40-year-old worship leader aim for? Because, you know, you yeah. get to a certain stage um, where you, you're, you begin to feel like the youngsters are, uh, you know, uh, are doing so well and um, you either move out altogether or you find some path that you can still contribute and be part of and mm. um i seem to have managed one way or another to to be able to do that and i'm still here <laughs> still here wonderful and we're really looking forward to gleaning some of your wisdom from those 35 years before we get to that how has lockdown been for you uh well actually for, for me it's it, it, it has been okay because um, although a lot of our work, which is all about meeting teams together face-to-face, -to -face, all that stopped sort of overnight. 
um, and I've been on furlough for most of the time since then. Our kids have grown up and it's, it's obviously impacted them more because they're at that stage of life where they're just trying to get going and get jobs mm-hmm. and get through university and things. Right. So, so obviously as a parent, that's been a, a concern. And, mm-hmm. But for us personally, it's actually been, you know, okay. Um, and I'm just aware that so many worship pastors around the country are actually, you know, having to face really difficult challenges and learn new skills all very, very quickly. And so I think really our, our the area I've been able to do is just stand alongside some of those people. But for me and for us personally, it's actually been, um, I've played a lot, a lot of golf. I built a shed. I've, uh, <laughs> I did some gardening. <laughs> so, yeah, so actually we're, you know, we're very fortunate that it, we've been okay. It's been good. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. And, you know, is every question that I ask you, will golf be part of the answer? Uh, probably. <laughs> interested to know how you'll work golf into the next question which is what is worship oh. so how would you define or explain what worship is oh that's you know that's such that is uh, such an important question and uh, this might be quite a long answer is that okay that's fine. <laughs> go for it um yeah so i actually in my studies um as i studied more about worship and did my um, dissertation it all came back to th- that question what is worship and and I sort of did a little bit of research as to what what people thought worship was you know you get you get 20 people in a room and you've got 30 different ideas of, of what worship is and they're all good mm-hmm. and um, the, the various different ways people talk about it if you research theologians and writers and they've all got great ideas about what worship are. They're not always the same. Often they're quite, quite different. Um, you know, in our church culture, worship tends to be around the area of singing. And of course, no one, no one would say that. No one would say our worship's primarily about singing. They'd say, no, it's far more broad than that. But actually our language and our activities seems to have said something different. So you have worship songs and worship recordings and worship ministries and, mm-hmm. And there was all around singing or some, some, some sort of singing. And, you know, if people say to you, how was the worship? What they really mean is how was the singing? That's, you know, in our culture, in church culture, it's primarily about the singing. So, and I was um, trying to ponder why, why this is. Why, why do we have so many different ways of thinking about worship? And um, so... What I did, because I, I, I've got a rational side, you know, I've got my creative self and I do the writing, but I've got, you know, I'm a math, mathematician at first, so I've got my rational thing. I want to say, why do we, why do we have so many different ways of talking about worship? And, and I think there's a number of uh, things here. Firstly, that word worship in the English language is quite a flexible word. It has so many different meanings in our culture and our language. So you, you, for, you know, you might have the, the literal translation of the word is worship giving worth so worship is anything you do that gives worth to the one you're worshiping but also in culture in our language that word worship means something like um 
religious acts of devotion towards a deity okay mm-hmm. so you ask a person in the street what is worship and they'll say oh that's the stuff you do in church you know it's mm-hmm. the prayers and the hymns and the, that's worship mm-hmm. so in our english language that word is used in so many different ways already and um also if you go to uh the bible and do a word search on the word worship in our english bibles you find that different translators they, they, they translate different words into the word worship. I mean, there's quite a lot of crossover, but there's, it's, it's not clear that everyone translates the same words into our English word worship. So very different ways of, of um, talking and defining worship. And, and so and then, um, so in translation, you, you, you need to say, well, what does the Hebrew and the Greek say? And what did those words mean in the culture when they were written? And then you look in our current language at the word worship, and what does that mean in our current language at the moment? And then you try and map them across. And, and actually, this is a really, this is a difficult process and a difficult thing to do because there's no single word in either the Greek or the Hebrew that is used in the same ways we use the word worship in the English language. Mm. Um, it sounds like I'm a her- being a bit of a heretic here, but the yeah, word worship is, is essentially not a, not a biblical word. Now that's, uh, you know, that's a very controversial thing to say, but so if you look at the various Hebrew and Greek words, um, translators try and translate some of those to what they think their view of the way the word worship is used in the English language and the translations differ. So, Romans 12 being one of them, some people will say, you know, it's you offer your bodies, living sacrifice, this is your spiritual worship. Uh, some versions would say, others will say, you know, this is your reasonable response. And so that's, well, it's a different translation. So, you know, it doesn't exactly make everything crystal clear. And so I came to the conclusion, um, uh, and you can disagree with me, people often do, um, worship wasn't really a single word that you could tr- get from the greek or hebrew it's like a theological idea mm-hmm. and so a bit like the word trinity the, tr- the word trinity isn't a biblical word you don't find the word trinity in the bible but that's a, a theological idea that lots of things suddenly make sense when you when you talk about the trinity i think worship's a little bit like that and that meant that made me think well what is the theological idea that i want to say when I talk about worship, I'm going to be talking about this. And um, I read a book by Eugene Peterson, who who did the message version of the Bible. I told you it was a long answer, didn't I? Um, and he said, and I don't even think this was his big reveal, but it was, it was um, in a book called Leap Over the Wall. And he says this, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. So I sort good. of read that and it's almost like a light bulb went on. I thought, oh, I love that. I really Can you say that again? Yeah, it's, um, so it's Eugene Peterson's definition. It's from a book called Leap Over the Wall. And he says, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Wow. And that's just like, and I was just like, oh, and if something just like came alive, I love that. I love that. But of course, you then need to go back to script and say, well, is that, it's, I love that definition, um, but do I see it in scripture? Then suddenly you see, 
for me, I just saw all the way to the scriptures. So even starting in the garden, you've got Adam and Eve in there in the Garden of Eden, and they work and serve the the earth and look after the creation and so on. But then they had specific times when they walk with God in the cool of the evening. You think even in the Garden of Eden, there seemed to be these specific times that Adam and Eve set aside to walk with God in the cool of the evening to interrupt their preoccupation with themselves or their work and attend to the presence of God. In the same way as it was in the temple in Jerusalem or when Jesus walked the earth or in the local church. And so, yeah, that was a long answer. But for me, that was, that was like such a re revelation. So much of what I understand now about worship hinged on that, that definition. Worship's the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Yeah, what do you think? It kind of gets you right here, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's that, that preoccupation. It's that yeah. that word, that preoccupation with myself, whew, that hits yeah. you. Yeah. So and also and also really just good. that phrase, you attend to the presence of God, and mm -hmm. I just, I mean, we can talk about that maybe in another another part of the interview. But that was just so crucial for me about the way he talks about the presence of God. You know, mm -hmm. it's he sort of says. God is here. You need to attend to him. It doesn't doesn't say sing a bit louder and God will come into the room and start doing things. It's saying that he's here. What you need to do is attend to his presence, not try and, you know, force him into the room or he, he doesn't need to drop in the room or come into the room. He's here. What we need to do is attend to his presence. And I just I just love that way of talking about the presence of God. So good. Anna, you're getting really animated about it as well, which I love. <laughs> Your passion for it is coming through. This is not just an academic exercise for you, and you can, mm. can feel that even on Zoom, which is so encouraging. It's really great to talk to. Can well, I think I think also it was um, it was born out of um, a few com this this whole idea of the presence of God, and it, it came to a head for me when I do a lot of one-to-one -one coaching and I would have these conversations in a coffee shop and the worship pastor, and I had this two, you know, a number of times and they'd say something like, I'm exhausted. Um, if I don't do my job right on Sunday and the presence of God doesn't come, I get into trouble on Monday. And it was like, that. okay, they put it in slightly different language. But there's a whole bunch of people out there who think, everyone's experience and the fact that you know god's very presence in the room amongst the people depends on the way this person plays his songs and leads on a sunday and i'm going this is screwed up this this and it's um and it's you know theology affects practice affects people and people will get i saw were getting damaged by this idea that you know it's a responsibility on you to make the presence of God come. And if you don't, we're all in trouble. And it's just like, this is really screwy. So this, this idea that, you know, it, our job is not to usher God's presence in or whatever. It's just to help people attend to his already here presence. That was just such a important light bulb moment for me. So that's why I get quite animated because mm. I could see people getting damaged by what I thought was a, a dodgy, screwy theology. And suddenly that, wish it became a little bit more beautiful again mm, well that's so good yeah i mean the the pressure that worship leaders have felt and you and you'd think maybe with lockdown that that would have eased up a little bit but 
I get the sense that there's still a lot of pressure. It's just shifted to a different kind of a platform. It's now an online pressure to make something happen, only it's harder to gauge, harder to measure whether you've been fruitful or you have any response mm. or whether the mm. presence of God has come mm. <laughs> in people's homes. or um, So, you know, I think this is an opportunity at the minute to look at what are we actually doing here. Um, but I would be slightly concerned that we're just taking that same pressure and that theology and mm. whatever all of that is and just moving it to online church yeah and 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 actually moving it into a place that's even more visible to even more people so you know we 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 tend to be quite competitive or at least I, I see quite a few people being competitive in ministry and it's almost like we found another way of doing that and so we're not going to do it in church anymore we're now going to do it online in front of everyone so uh, yes so much pressure and um you know, I, I would, you know, I wouldn't want to be a church leader at this time. I think it must be such a tough season to have to na navigate mm -hmm. um, when, you know, your, your almost like your main thing, your main gatherings where people, you, you, they don't happen anymore. So I, I, I understand that there's huge pressures, but it does really then focus us in on a number of key questions and around worship and the presence of God in a way that. Um, no one would have wished us to have to go through this, but I think that's one of the things that will come out of it. I think hopefully will be healthy and good for the church. Mm. Certainly there are some opportunities and here we come to the point where I read your article and thought to myself, Oh, this guy could maybe shed a little bit of light on what does worship look like without singing and so you've done a bit of work around that. You've obviously lived it and journeyed this um, personally, theologically. Um, so talk to us a bit about the opportunities. Maybe we can't sing in the same way. What can we do, Neil? What are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think a probably caveat with all of this is saying, check out the government guidelines, because I may be wrong. <laughs> but um, I think really the first thing I think I, I think this this time has forced us to think again is is that question what is worship because if worship is about being in the same room as people and singing so god's presence come into the room then we're, we're totally we're we're all we might as well go home do you know what i mean it's like it's almost like focuses to rethink again and that's why again i come back to that phrase about attending to the presence of god mm -hmm. to to be able to say in the season wherever we are wherever we whatever medium we're using to to relate whether that's on online or whatever it is um we the one thing we don't have to worry about is whether god is here because he is i mean that's that's essentially what that's really jesus one he is here he is here so that's the first thing and when that's almost like part of the pressure is off mm -hmm. it's like you know we're not you know we don't have to judge ever and we we never should have judged our worship by whether god turns up so that's a real good starting point so the question is then well how do we in the best possible way attend to god's presence together and so you know we can't sing and even if we're starting to venture back into church we can't sing corporately together but what are the things we can do and so some of the things i think we can do um um is, is more about the air of words so uh, my understanding is the process although some people 
argue this the process of singing is the thing that causes you're projecting so you're in danger of infecting and virus and so on but you can speak so for me one of the things to rethink again was well, what is the value of spoken word in worship and uh, you know maybe saying the psalms or speaking out psalms um you know some of the liturgies that um in my de denomination the anglican liturgies were were put together with such theological depth and accessibility and pastoral care some of the words there i think and um, i think this was happening anyway we were beginning to rediscover liturgy um, mm -hmm. but this is almost like giving us the opportunity to do that more i think in 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 the vineyard movement for example someone like david ruiz um has yeah. has uh thought this through and even even i think about 20 years ago he was re recapturing liturgy and when he came to new new wine a, a few years ago he he would you know he started speaking out this is before um the hillsong song we believe he was mm -hmm. you know getting everyone to sit, speak out the creed and mm -hmm. so i think it's given us a chance to go back and revisit the sort of beauty uh, of those words helping us to attend to the presence of god through through spoken word and liturgy um I've come across one church who have actually written all their own liturgy as well. And I thought, how exciting is that? Suddenly, suddenly all those poets amongst us, um, it's their time, it's a moment. So let's look for them and let's encourage them to write something for us that, that narrates our own story in this, in this moment um, through the, the power of words. And mm. I'd, love to, I'd love to see that happening more. Um, yeah, so that was one area. I think the other area and it's not so much um specifically non-singing but it was another area that i think was uh it felt like it's important to think through was the whole area of lament again and mm -hmm. again i think um i certainly am playing a huge catch-up in that um sort of area and there's others who have been uh i would say banging on about it but that would um be ungracious to the way particularly someone like Brian Dirksen has spoken about it. He's mm. been, very, he's a very gentle pastoral, but prophetic person. He's been very, very quietly um, talking about this for a while about lament. And now we're, we're in this season where um, grief is going to be acute. And I don't think we've even seen part of it yet. Mm. You know, um, uh, a few weeks ago, my own mother died and, oh. So as, I was, as I was preparing to think about lament, so it was almost like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. But you know, we hadn't been face to face for three or four months, and mm -hmm. um, but you know, th this wasn't through COVID. This was something else. But the level of grief within our nations at the moment will be acute, and we—I don't think we were we we currently realise that, and it will catch up on us. And so, how do we as a church um, embrace lament in a corporate, healthy way that? that helps express this and I think that's another big area this sort of worship without singing or at least at least this time has forced us to think again and and I'm no expert in lament and I, I was a worship as I say I was a worship pastor for 20 years I led worship in my church for probably two and a half thousand times I never once led a time of lament mm. and I'm like well what would I do now and I think well mm. I can't speak from experience I never did it and I'm now not a worship pastor so I don't have to decide but I think probably I'd have to. I'd have to think really deeply about lament and help our our congregations and process and express this grief that mm -hmm. will 
will would inevitably catch up on us when we start um, services up again. So mm -hmm. I think that's another opportunity to um, to think through. And you know, it doesn't have to be through song; it can be through words and and just facilitating people's thoughts and expressing pain in a in a different way. And so, yeah, those are the, those were my my thoughts for what they're worth. Um, but yeah. I say them as, a, as someone who's not having to make decisions about them. I'm not a worship artist, so I'm, I know I can, in one sense, do it from one step back. Um, but then, you know, uh, this is what I'm observing and I'm feeling and thinking, I think. Okay, so where do we start with lament? Okay, yeah. So as you can tell now, we've put, we've, the camera has changed. My other camera ran out of battery, so uh, it's not quite as... Uh, flashy this one but um where do we start with laments um yeah i think um a couple of places i saw i was i was thinking you know two and a half thousand times over 20 years leading worship my church why did i never leave a time lead a time of lament and i think one of one of the things was we never had i was never asked to we never had any sort of shared leadership understanding of lament in its place in our in our church so that's an important conversation to have i think mm -hmm. i think also the other place the thing about lament is it forces us to think carefully about the nature of god and how he works uh, in our lives and in our our world to you know we 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 so often use that phrase don't we god is in control and at the moment I don't think, I think it, well, everything we're seeing and experiences challenges, it challenges us to think carefully as to whether we actually believe that, mm. I, you know, the fact that the thought that God was good somehow be up in heaven at the moment, pulling some strings and making a pandemic go around the world, or it's like this, this is, you know, what's happening. It challenges us to think again about that phrase, God, God is in control. And, you know, um, and I've, I've certainly got to the place where I think I, I don't think that's a really good way of to express his God's nature and the way he works to say he's on control. I don't think it's a very helpful one. So, and lament forces us to have those sort of conversations and thoughts and, uh, and you were saying lament is asking why and yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, and, um, yeah, that's right. And, Um, yeah, that's oh, that was it. Sorry, yes, I remember what I was you're saying. Right. Now. <laughs> you're right, you're right. Oh, sorry, camera goes wrong and my whole brain goes to pot. Um, yeah, it's it's like so in my in my movement, I think, and I, I'm not saying it's just my movement, but we like to think as churches that we have the answers, don't we? And we think that um, you know we want to have the answer to everyone's problems and situations and i think at the moment we just have to say we don't have an answer we don't have have the answer to mm. everything that we're seeing and and lament in in one sense is a is an admission of that and we, we say we don't have the answers someone said um i don't know who it was but lament starts when we ask the question why and we don't get an answer mm. and i think that's, that's again that's another place to think and to start about this whole era of lament this, this is a time when we don't have the answers and lament's gonna carry on 
beyond the 40 minutes of our, our worship time or songs. And so that challenges again our, our church and the way we do church and the sort of language that we use as leaders to say, you know, actually we're, we just don't know. Mm. And that's another big challenge for us as the church, you know, because I say we like to think we have the answers. And we sure do. The answer is we don't have the answers. And, and, you know, especially in the charismatic church, you know, we talk about, we love the language of power and God's presence and all that. I, I know the reasons for that and there's a lot of good in it, but at the moment, you know, that I think we've got to be really careful about that language. You know, we love, we love, we, we, we love the language of healing in the church and we should pray for healing. Of course we mm-hmm. should. Um, but for me, it doesn't seem like that Christians are any more or less exempt from the impact of COVID than anyone else. So um, that forces us to rethink the whole area of healing again. I think that's, I think that will be a healthy thing. But you know, we pray for people, and they're still dying and they're still suffering. And it's um, so lament is like it throws all of our ideas about worship and the nature of God and the way we do church throws all up in the air. And, you know, it's a, it's a tough and a challenging time, but um, as I say, no one would hope, no one wish we'd go through it, but I think there's so much that um, could come out of it that is really healthy for church and worship. And so let's say, for instance, you still were a worship pastor. (laughs) you've also told us that you've just recently lost your mother Mm. which so you're journeying your own grief as well um what would you would you try some corporate lament if you were still a worship pastor would you would you have a go at trying something that you've never done in 2500 worship sets um yeah, um, well, I think, you know, having said what I think is important is this needs working out as a leadership in the church and you're a church leader. So you'd, you'd probably want your worship leader to have a conversation with you before they launch <laughs> on Sunday morning. But yeah, I would certainly uh, let's assume that that is that is OK. But yeah, I think I think I would. As, as I say, I think the level of grief within culture at the moment is huge. And I think I, I think I would. I'd be um, listening to to songs and words and some of the psalms are a lot more uh trying to work out how we can bring that into a corporate expression of lament and i think yeah i think i, I think i definitely I, I think i'd have to give it a go and mm. um it might go horribly wrong but i think yeah i would i would i would definitely 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 and this is a you know, you know the church needs to be real you know, we don't have the answers. It doesn't look like God's in control. We're praying for people and they're not getting healed. We're praying for people and they still die. Um, we've got to start to um, process all of that in a healthy way. And so, you know, if we can't sing the songs, we might be able to play songs. I'd certainly be looking around for um, maybe song videos we could play that, you know, if we can't sing them together, we could actually um, play them over our sound systems or on our videos and, I think there's some really helpful stuff out there at the moment. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely, I would. I mean, I'd be, I'd be nervous as heck, but <laughs> I think I would. I think I would. And um, and this is, and, th- and this is another challenge for people like people like me. It's like, where's my model for this? Mm. This is another, another thing that has 
become you know become obvious is we don't have a model for this most of us don't have a model we haven't been in churches when they've done it so you know some people you know and I'm, i've known friends of mine who've led times of worship that um has, has lament and they've got absolutely slated for it and you think well but actually i wish we'd listen to them all a bit more um we don't have a model so it would be a bit of flying by the seat of your pants but i think yeah i would i would do it and what do you think might happen neil if we were to lament what 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 would what would we see possibly i mean we're speculating here because neither you or me has seen a model or knows really what this looked like except for reading it in the psalms but um what do you think might happen either in us or community oh wow that's a really important question um i think i think we would become emotionally more healthy as the church um you know i'm i I don't want to over process my mum's death at all um but you know the the process of tears and just standing in front of a it was only small gathering and saying everything we loved about my mum even though she she was you know lying there in the, the coffin in front of us and the process of doing that and the tears that came with it were were a healthy thing you know there'd been a time when you know you stand up in front of people and cry and you'd have been you know said you were weak or Mm. but actually i think we would become emotionally more healthy Mm. i think um um i'm not an expert in this but this uh, alongside all of the grief there's an awful lot of anxiety in our right in our in our in our communities and particularly amongst the young people and i don't think the answer to that uh again i'm going to probably upset people i don't think the answer to that is just to sing louder and do everything bigger and brighter and better it's to express how scared and um anxious we are you know there's you know to say i'm not an expert on mental health but um um to sort of have that burden when we meet that if we just do these things and we just sing this song in this particular way then all our anxiety will disappear it's just like no this is not how the human human beings are built and wired and relate and this is how they this isn't how they heal and get through situations like this mm. is by being emotionally healthy about um grief and tears as well as laughter and i really hope that out of this our churches will become more emotionally healthy and i think lament will be be part of that and boy do we need some emotional health in church and worship Mm -hmm. right now don't Mm -hmm. we (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. we sure do and you haven't mentioned golf in a while (laughs) no i haven't but i I do always say i'm going back to my initial part question about you know adam walking with god in the cool of the evening i think sometimes when i play golf in the evening and I walk with God playing golf. I just think, you know, I'm sure they were playing golf when they did that. Right? Just having a round of golf. <laughs> Adam and Eve and God in the garden. <laughs> That's brilliant. I forced that one a little bit. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. I think your challenge to us as worship leaders about lament is a difficult one, but I'm really glad we've had this conversation. And I hope that those that 
watch this will feel encouraged to maybe start by picking up the Psalms and digging into what what the laments in scripture look like since you're pointing out we don't have a whole lot of models that we can find maybe on YouTube or in our own churches and then maybe you're saying as well a conversation with our leadership with leaders around us that would be another good next yeah, step because in some sense certainly the worship community probably have been talking about this for a while yeah maybe it hasn't been the highest profile thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you know even when I, brian mclaren wrote an open letter to worship leaders i don't know how long ago it was he talked about lament ng wright's been talking about lament. we've had books we've had you know there has been songs we've had theological papers the, the real question for me though is are we actually going to do it? And like you say, and what are we expecting that's going to help with? Mm -hmm. So the question, the, the leadership discussion is, is a really crucial one. That's good. Yeah, you've really driven that point home. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Too hard. Too hard. It's really helpful. It's really healthy, actually. What you're saying is really good. If we want to see this progress, it's we can't just fire off loose cannons we have to actually work with people and go on a journey as a community and that's part of the part of the maybe why it can take really long and be really frustrating but it's also part of the the joy and the learning and the the sharpening of each other challenging each other and the accountability in the process that we're not just you know, trying the latest, greatest things. But I don't know that very many of us are actually trying anything along these lines. And I think yeah. this message is really important. And as we stand on the brink of potential further pandemic lockdowns and challenges, and this thing draws out longer and longer, um, it becomes all the more uh, mm. an invitation to us to Let's be real here, people. Mm, mm. Let's be real. Let's be honest. Yeah. And that's um, really, really helpful to have this conversation. One of our values in the vineyard is integrity. And part yeah. of that integrity yeah. is actually to, to be real and honest mm. and mm. to look at the whole range of emotions, not just joy yeah. and celebration yeah. and the feel-good ones, but also the difficult emotions that tell us something really important. And we see God expressing all sorts of emotions, including the difficult ones in Scripture, which is yeah. an interesting challenge to us. But I would love to finish, actually, with you praying for us, Neil. I think what you've brought to us is a really, really helpful challenge about lament. But would you pray over us? Because we need the Holy Spirit to help us in this. Yeah, of course I will. Um, let me. I did have a something I wanted to pray. I'm not sure I've got it here. One of the things that we are increasingly all growing in is our confidence to see the Holy Spirit move yeah. via technology and to impact us and to to move even when we're not in the same room with each other. So I have a lot of faith that you're going to pray something over us. <laughs> Somebody will watch this two weeks from now or, you know, a year from now, and it will really stir something in their heart. Oh, really? so. And actually, just this final thought, um, and I, f I found this really interesting. I, I, 
um, one of my friends, Simon Ponsby, I think said this, that we used to watch um, um, people on TV saying, you know, just touch the screen now and you'll, you know, receive your blessing. And suddenly we're thinking, well, maybe the, it wasn't all bad. You know, <laughs> but we can still experience and do ministry across, um, across the internet and across media. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, we all long for the day when we can gather and do it again, but I think, yeah, have great confidence that God is here. His spirit is with us. Mm. Um, and he can move and speak and heal and do whatever he needs to do and teach and, uh, as we gather together. So, yeah. Great. Please pray for us. Okay. And, um, yeah, I did, you, you said you were going to ask me to pray and, um, what I wanted to pray for you, and I suppose I'm speaking to your vineyard uh, worship movement, is that mm -hmm, right? So, mm -hmm. who we who I love, and I know so many people that I just I just love and feel very much um, in some ways part of the vineyard family because so many of them have been important for my journey. But mm -hmm. I just wanted to pray, and it's a very well known prayer, and we've it's been sung around the world recently. This is ironic blessing, and you know. Um, and I just want to explain what I mean when I'm praying this. Because the Lord bless you. What do we mean when we say the Lord bless you? And it's not, it's not that everything is going to work out fine. Every detail is fine. It's not about material blessing or all those sort of things. Dallas Willard says to bless someone is to project goodness into them. Mm. So when we pray a blessing, as I pray on you now, I pray that you will know the fullness of God's goodness in your life as you as you go through these times and this season the Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you to know the face of God is to know the intimacy that the Father the Son and the Spirit have known from the beginning of time so we when we pray that God's face will shine upon you I'm praying that you would know that intimacy of relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit as you go about your ministry. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This is a shalom peace. This is about God's order in the world. And we pray that as you go about your ministry, you will know God moving and working for order in the world. So I want to pray for all my dear friends in old and new within the vineyard uh, worship movement, I do pray that on you, that the Lord would bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. And just whenever you prayed about the Lord turning his face towards me, the sun came through my window. Ah. <laughs> oh, that, was, that was probably just God walking into the room. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a big deal in Northern Ireland when that yellow thing it is, it is. reveals itself. So. And you've got it on film. I do. I have evidence of it. It did come out once. <laughs> so thank you so much, Neil, for your wisdom, for your input, for taking the time to chat to us. I hope that our paths cross with you in the vineyard again in the near future and all the best and God's richest blessing on the worship foundation as well. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much.